0: Hello and welcome. I am your host Kirsty, and this is Leadership Odysseys. We're embarking on a mission to bridge the gap between aspiration and reality, offering a raw and unfiltered exploration of the behind the scenes challenges that shape true leadership. Join us as we share stories of resilience, turning points and authentic human experiences that remind us greatness is a product of the entire odyssey, not just the destination. Today we're honoured to welcome a true visionary in the world of marketing and leadership, Adrian McDermott. With a remarkable career spanning over 25 years, Adrian has held key roles at some of Australia's most prominent brands, including Nike, Diageo, David Jones, Green Cross leading the pet barn brand, Camilla, and Seafolly. Her outstanding contributions led her to be named one of Australia's top 50 chief marketing officers. Adrian's journey has been an incredible odyssey marked by innovation, resilience, and the pursuit of meaningful change. She's not only an accomplished marketer, but also the CEO, co-founder of Tanika Spirits, an award-winning brand committed to offering healthier drinking alternatives. Adrian's commitment to creating a balanced, more mindful world through her work is truly inspirational. In this episode, we dive deep into Adrian's personal journey her experiences in the world of marketing, and the lessons that she's learned along the way. We'll explore her transition from a successful corporate career to entrepreneurial endeavours and how she's making a positive impact in Tanika Spirits. Whether you're an aspiring leader, a budding entrepreneur, a seasoned executive, or simply curious about the incredible stories behind influential brands – This episode offers invaluable insights and inspiration. So without further ado, let's welcome Adrian McDermott to Leadership Odysseys. Welcome, Adrian.
1: Hi. Thank you so much for having me.
0: I am so excited to have you here today on Leadership Odysseys to really share your incredible odyssey with everyone. And I have to say, I've had the pleasure of knowing you now for around six years, our past first crossed during our time working together at Sea Folly. And since then, you really have been an incredible source of energy, wisdom, and unwavering support in my life. So we're here today at Manly Library, which is so nice for a change in scenery. And I just want to tell everyone, I suppose, that not only you're a fantastic professional, but a very dear friend whose advice has been a guiding light for me over the years. Your infectious energy and invaluable insights are sure to make this episode an absolute treasure for that, our audience. That is so
1: nice of you to say. I could say the exact same about you. So I'm so glad we've stayed in touch, and I'm glad you come my way all the way down to the northern beaches. So Love thanks the so much. northern beaches. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Thank you. And couldn't have picked a more perfect day for it, that's for sure. Yeah. Now I like to start the podcast of everyone of asking what is quite a short question, but a very powerful question. So I'm gonna actually
1: ask, where did your journey begin? Who is who is
0: Adrian McDermott?
1: Uh, that is a, a packed question to start off with. I suppose I go back to the way I was brought up. My father was one of those madmen era 1950s New York City advertising executives. And my mother was a magazine editor at the time. And um, it's funny, my sister ended up in the theater, my brother ended up in film. I suppose I was always brought up around this like theatrical sense of experience and brand building and curiosity and I guess where, where art really meets science. And so I landed on a career in brand building just because I was fascinated by that. It was something that I really grew up with. Spent seven years doing doing theater myself and then really turning that into retail theater, I suppose, and all the jobs that I've had, especially in the last 10 years or so. But yeah, just really curious and curious enough to come over to Australia almost 30 years ago now wow.
0: and follow my
1: career and my passion for consumer marketing brought me out this direction, and I just loved it and ended up staying. Wow. So, yeah, that's a little bit about, I guess, where I've come from or the influences on, on what's brought me to my career today.
0: And I never knew this, uh, that, you know, that the whole background of where you've come from with your family, of all yeah. being within yeah. that branding yeah. and theatrical space, like yeah. it, it. I suppose it's a key part of you knowing how to bring that energy to the room. It really is in the, the family foundations. Yeah,
1: exactly right.
0: So 30 years here in Australia. Mm -hmm. So what has that journey been like for you here?
1: Wow. So I first got out to Australia and I was supposed to be here for a short time. I was working as a human resources manager for a pharmaceutical company and I didn't know it, but I met my husband the first month I was living here. He was only about the second Australian I'd ever met. (laughs) And we met at a pub in the rocks of all places. Excellent, As you do. And I didn't know it at the time, but I was about to fall in love with him and the country and the lifestyle here. I ended up going back to the US for a couple of years in the late 90s to get my MBA in marketing in Chicago. But then soon after, decided to come back to Australia. We got married and I spent the better part of the last 25 years really working my career here. I did have the opportunity to go back to the US as well. Between about 2005 and 2010, picked up the family, picked up stumps, and was able to go back to the U.S. and work in San Francisco and in Portland, Oregon as well. But Australia drew me back here about 12 years ago, 13 years ago, came back, and yeah, now I'm really... I'm really all sold on being in Australia for the rest of my career and the rest of my life. I just love it here. And so many people in the world would love to come here. I just feel absolute privilege that I was able to I guess have a life here, which Absolutely. is fantastic
0: and enjoy the incredible beaches. In yeah, exactly, that's why I live in the northern <laughs> beaches. <laughs> uh, and so where did your, you you mentioned, you know, starting off and you've worked, uh, you know, over in America as well as over here. Mm. You've worked for some pretty dominant brands and created, been Mm. a huge part of creating these brands. Mm. Can you take us on those journeys? Sure.
1: Well, I suppose after that experience of getting my MBA in marketing, it really allowed me to make a career transition into consumer marketing and brand building. I was fortunate enough to have a role at Diageo, which is one of the best global spirits brands in the world here in Australia. It was a fantastic time of ready-to-drink growth, of the Rugby World Cup happening here for Bundaberg Rum, fantastic people that I got to work with. And that really gave me a taste for brand building and also into the category I'm now innovating into, which is uh, Global Spirits. Fantastic time in my career and, and what a great company to work for that really knows about you know building experience and building lifestyle brands. When I did go back to the US in 2005, um, the motivation there was really to further my experience in retail marketing specifically. And at that time in Australia, we really hadn't advanced to that level of retail consumer experience that the US had done so well. So I really wanted to go back to the US to, I guess, get exposed to that and be able to bring those principles back to the, the Australian market. So I was fortunate to get a role at Banana Republic, which is part of the Gap, out of San Francisco for about a year and a half. And in that role, I was working in an international marketing role, bringing the Banana Republic brand into Japan at the time. They kind of thought, well, you know something about that part of the world being from Australia, so why don't you, you know, be the one to launch into the Asia-Pacific? And that was great. It was a really good learning of, you know, what are the aspects of a global brand that are transferable into new markets What's that kind of brand story and the, the brand truth that really needs to stay connected in, in, in building a global brand? And that was a fantastic example of, I guess, some of the key learnings of adapting to a new market and, and being able to export, you know, a really big idea that was coming out of the U.S. And can
0: I ask just on that mm. one, did you, what was the leadership like around you? Mm. Was there at this stage where you really are making that impact and starting to really learn all about consumer insights, Mm. consumer behavior, building that global brand?
1: Did you have strong leadership around you? We definitely did. I suppose that was the first time I'd gone to a much bigger retail brand that had the depth of specialization in different departments. It's the really key difference between working in a U.S. corporate environment versus an Australian corporate environment. In the U.S., people are highly specialized and spend their entire career very focused on kind of a singular expertise. So at Banana Republic, which is part of Gap, there were definitely specialists in consumer insights or commercial strategy or international marketing or brand marketing versus product marketing very, very honed in skills. Mm. So I guess it gave me the opportunity to learn those individual functions to a, to a high depth of knowledge. And so, yeah, great leaders, great leaders who were kind of coming, you know, from all sorts of different directions. That's the other thing about the U.S. is that people move to specific cities for career decisions. So you know you might have someone who was an expert in brand building in New York move across the country to San Francisco and work for Banana Republic, for example. So you really get the diversity, too, of thinking from across the country, a lot of different backgrounds and, again, true specialists in their fields.
0: Yeah, wow. What a great experience for Mm. you in being able to be in some of those key environments.
1: (laughs) But uh, probably the better part of the experience was – while I was at Banana Republic, Nike was just on its journey to develop its retail, consumer retail expertise. So they actively looked for people and recruited down to San Francisco, you know, in, into the Gap and Banana Republic in particular, people who were really good at retail marketing to join the Nike uh, business at the time. So this was when Nike was moving from their Nike Town concepts, which were only about seven to 12 you know, flagship stores worldwide to what you see today, which is literally thousands of Nike stores. Wow. So they were really looking to bolster the the retail marketing expertise. And I was in the right place at the right time to be able to be recruited, moved up to Portland, Oregon, and went straight into an Asia-Pacific retail marketing role. This was also during the buildup to the Beijing Olympics in 2008, which Nike was on a land grab race. We actually built a 1,000 retail stores in China in a year in the lead-up to the Beijing Olympics. Oh, my gosh. That Um, is huge. (laughs) So it was literally three stores a day were opening in China. And my responsibility was thinking through the customer experience when it came to the windows, the direction of the visual merchandising, the retail communication. Um, And then I moved into a global running category role where Nike Plus was really just emerging and thinking about how to simplify the product technology down to a retail marketing clear messaging kind of level to be able to to take that concept to market which was fantastic and then the last role I had at Nike was actually in the global football category during the World Cup football which was in South Africa which was absolutely fantastic as well so being a part of the retail marketing team that really brought to life again that whole experience of of the Nike you know Federation sorry not the Federation the the whole Nike kind of performance apparel and footwear that was being used in the World Cup so we really built out these amazing atrium executions and retail marketing executions that really you know when I think to the budgets and the and the kinds of things that we were able to do and the people that I was working with there it was real highlight
0: yeah, wow. That is pretty significant campaigns that yeah. you were part of yeah. and got to experience that whole building of them, taking them to market, and mm. seeing the impact that had on a global scale. Mm. Exactly right. Yeah, wow. So Nike,
1: was a. it was quite a prominent part of your career. It was. It was a real highlight. And so you can imagine what a big decision it was when my husband and I, who at the time we had decided we were only going to be in the US maybe three to five years, it was about six and a half years that we had been there and our kids were at the right age to make a decision as to whether or not we would stay in the US or come back to Australia. So we made we made the call to come back to Australia. So the hardest things I've ever had to do is is resigned from my job at Nike and people kind of went, are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> and I went, yeah, I'm sure. I think I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, came back to Australia because the kids were at that right age. And those are the kinds of decisions that you do make and Definitely. you never look back. It was a hard transition and I always empathize with people who are coming back to the Australian market after having some great global roles. It is, it is just a mindset shift and it does take a while to make that transition. So it took me literally about a year to find a GM marketing role at David Jones. I wanted to stay in retail and mm-hmm. I wanted to stay in Sydney. And as you know, there's not much opportunity there. So David Jones was a fantastic opportunity that came along. Yeah. But I had to be patient. And then after that is when I worked with you at Seafolly. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Which was another great um, you know, retail brand with global global potential and a global market where I could apply some of those skills that I had, I guess, acquired on the Nike and the Banana Republic journey. Yeah.
0: And they're all very iconic brands that you have been part of, Mm. which is pretty phenomenal. And, you know, one, I think your value alignment to what you're looking for Mm. out of your career as well, but definitely to be part of these stories and campaigns that you have driven throughout your career Gosh, it, it really is quite special. I remember at Seafolly, there was this wall that had all the magazine covers of all the different, you know, key ambassadors over the years yeah. and you played a significant part in that.
1: Yeah, it was it was great. I'm really uh, grateful for the brands I've been able to work for and the experiences I've had. But I guess the big learning for me is not to rest on that. <laughs> and just because you have worked for these great brands, you really can't trade on that on your career forever. So really the last two years or so, or really since 2020, I've really done some deeper thinking about, yes, I've had these great brands and great experiences, but it, it doesn't define kind of who you are and what your potential is, nor can you rest on that. So just because I was, you know, selected as one of the top CMOs in Australia for two years that was some years ago now. So you really have to accept at one point in your career that you jump to a second curve. Yes. You, you you really can't. You can no longer trade on the the kinds of things that made you successful maybe ten years ago or, or twenty years ago. You really have to make a second career or a third career and and jump a curve and, and
0: do something different. Yeah, it's a very powerful lesson to be able to be able to talk out and to be able to share with our audience. How did you go from that true corporate career into starting to really feel that way of of not resting and really looking at your future self on your journey as well? Mm.
1: (laughs) When I try to think of the time that I flicked the switch, it was during early 2020. I was between roles and of course, we all were experiencing COVID and it really made me think about what I wanted to do next, what I was good at. I think it was a very reflective time for all of us. And I really, for the first time, had an opportunity to think and think deeply about what I felt that I was wanting to move on to. So I started to consult with some other brands around their own small business journeys, using my marketing knowledge to try to help them in the early stages i also went to iecl and got my level 1 level 2 executive coaching accreditation in order to again maybe make a more serious go at at helping other small businesses navigate that journey and then i realized why wouldn't i write my own business plan <laughs> you know <laughs> here i am advising a lot of others to to take that leap is this something that that i'm attracted to is this something after all those years working for someone else that I can, you know, start to carve out something on my own terms as well. So it, it was really, I guess, a bit of a reflection as we all did during those early days of COVID as to really, what, what do I want to get out of my next chapter? And is it the right time to really take control of that and, and do something on your own terms?
0: Yeah, fantastic. And probably just that moment to stop Mm. and actually have that space Mm. as well. I'm definitely hearing that that is a a key part for all of us as we go on this journey of life and we really just the treadmill just keeps going. Mm. But having a moment to just stop and pause Mm. and really ask your heart what your heart truly desires. That's exactly right. is incredible. So it was about two years ago that you started your brand Tanika. Tell us a little bit about how that journey has evolved over the years.
1: So we launched Tanika in November 2021, but as I said, the journey really started probably almost two years before that, in early 2020. In between, <laughs> in between, after writing the business plan for Tanika and 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 really identifying an opportunity that that was based on that movement during COVID which was more about the need for social connection and wellness. Um, After writing the original business plan, I was tempted into one last big corporate role. (laughs) So in about mid-2020, I took on um, the chief marketing officer role at Green Cross and Pet Barn. And um, Tanika was a, a little bit of a side hustle. It was just bubbling around in the background on the back burner for some time. As a lot of startups are. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, we we really dove into it with all the things that were attractive to us, like making the label, making the bottle, making the brand, all the, the you know, adornments to the brand. It was like a nice little, again, side hustle slash hobby that was happening. But then things got pretty real about mid-2021 when we had to invest in the actual components, the production, find a distributor. So it got a lot more serious a lot quickly, a lot more quickly in kind of late 2021. So I made the decision to to leave my corporate role and focus on Tanica full-time from early 2022. Again, a very hard decision and one I didn't take lightly and one I would advise people now who have their own small businesses and side hustles to hold on to your day job as long as possible. Because, you know, I liken it to, a lot of entrepreneurs say this, but, you know, jumping off a cliff and making a plane on the way down, which is the feeling that you get. Oh, So very true. (laughs) Of, of, you know, making the leap. Luckily, I had, I guess, enough financial security to tolerate not paying myself and putting in a lot of my own unpaid time and into Tanika for 2022. It was a, a big risk, but a huge learning as well. We did do one round of friends and family capital raising before the takeoff, and that was allowing us really for about a three to six month runway of, of marketing. I did have to put in more of my own time and money into the brand in late 2022, but I can confidently say now that things are really paying off. I like to call it the, the J-curve nerve, which is really you know the understanding that you will not be profitable from day one. You have to prepare yourself physically and mentally for some losses before you can start to see a forecast which turns, flicks the switch into profitability.
0: Can we just stop there for a second and really go into, this is a big component of a lot of entrepreneurs that are wanting to really start out there is that key piece around that financial element because it is, it's is—it's a big adjustment mm. to not be able to take home a healthy salary. Like mm. that's a, a key part why a lot of people stay in their their corporate roles mm-hmm. and, and continue on in their career. That mindset that goes behind that, what did you do to really be able to flick that dial and go you're thinking of the years down the track and yeah. what you're actually bringing in creating this brand?
1: Do you know what? It's funny. It's I think it's about when you – start to earn a better salary, you realize that the motivation behind how much you're earning isn't as fulfilling as what you thought it would be. So in your younger self, you're thinking, as long as I'm earning this much, or as long as my title is chief marketing officer, or as long as my you know, pay packet is at a certain level, I'll feel fulfilled. And I guess once you actually do get to that point, you realize that that's not what you're about. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you're, you're about much more than that. You're about wanting to start to think about, again, as I started off saying, I feel like I'm a brand builder. I wanted to, I wanted to build a brand that I could look and say, that's something I built, or it's going to outlive me, or it's going to be my legacy, or you know, people who don't know me will know my brand, and I'll be able to communicate or connect with them in some way even if I can't you know know them personally. So I suppose I came to the point where I realized that foregoing the pay packet was going to give me probably more fulfillment than having the pay packet. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I'll, I'll be honest with you, you do have to get to a certain life stage and level of security in order to make that leap. So my, my kids are older now. We've definitely, I've had a great career that's allowed me to save up for that opportunity. So you have to have a certain amount of financial independence or a really great skill at capital raising to give you that <laughs> financial security. I've only just started paying myself in May of this year, but I can tell you my salary now is, you know, a fraction of what it used to be, but at least it puts food in the fridge. Yeah. <laughs> and again, my my kind of, my bank balance might be low, but my happiness and fulfillment and healthy balance is probably much higher. That. So it, I guess it's just a certain point in your career where, again, you can't rest on what you've done in the past or the person or the career that you've had. You, you just take a look at what, what else is in your in your bank, in your kitty to, to get out there. And in my case, it, it, it's been a big journey in the last two years and a lot of risks but I'm finally seeing the other side of it and it feels great.
0: Yeah. Wow. And let's, what about the challenges over the last two years?
1: I think the biggest challenge was when you are changing from a corporate career into a small business, the same things don't really work. And I wish someone had told me that. Probably people did tell me that. But a good example is, there's actually a, a, a book that I, I read recently. It's a very practical marketing startup book. It's called Chase One Rabbit. <laughs> and I think about it a lot now. It's a, it's a book by David Parrish. You can probably guess how it goes. It's it's the kind of proverb of when you chase one rabbit, it's possible to catch it. But if you try to chase two, you risk losing both. Now, in the past, I had large teams and budgets that were capable of chasing multiple rabbits. And in corporate roles, you know, you, you, you catch a few, you lose a few, um, you kind of tolerate the imperfection and the inefficiency because, you know, you're too busy and you probably have too much pride to pivot. <laughs> um, and when something didn't work or something no longer worked, it was really hard to figure out why. So when sales were up, everyone got pats on the back. When sales were down, you know, everyone started the blame game. But when product and IT and sales and brand are all the same person, and that same person is you, <laughs> you, you can't actually point a finger in any other direction but back to yourself. And, and when every customer and every sale actually matters and it's earned, it's a whole different mindset. So I guess my biggest learning was the first six months of marketing Tanica. I was using my old ways of marketing, which were spend big, <laughs> blow on a few embers and just watch the embers take off. You know, we gifted over a hundred people. I spent um, a lot of money on a PR retainer in order to get, you know, PR placement. We got a lot of good placements, but it was unsustainable mm. because the spend level was unsustainable yeah. because the core idea wasn't fully baked. And because I was chasing a lot of rabbits, <laughs> not just one rabbit. Um, that's so, a pretty good
0: lesson to learn yeah, yeah, at definitely. an early
1: stage too. Thank God. Well, <laughs> it took about six months, but it was kind of when the, the initial runway, you know, starts to dry up that you realize, wait a minute, we need to take a step back. And I guess the biggest learning for me too, was just because I was a career marketer didn't mean that I had a good marketing strategy. In fact, I didn't need a marketing strategy. I needed a market strategy. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's a big difference.
1: <laughs> Which again, I've learned is a huge difference. It's, it has to be a market strategy. And again, that's that one rabbit, which is going, you know, an inch wide and a mile deep on something. And really having that understanding at the outset as to, you know, what's that one rabbit? What's that, you know, real insight? And what's that real market opportunity? And then the relativity of your value proposition in that market. So again, I, I think, It was a a real learning because in the past, things could be a little imperfect and still be okay, but when you're running your own small business, you can't afford as many of those imperfections. (laughs)
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So... It's 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 been a huge learning and and something that again you really have to pivot your own mindset as well as your strategy. Oh, it's huge, and it's a, so
0: reliant on yourself mm. as a founder, like to be at all the different expos, to be at different markets. Yeah, to I connect. actually love.
1: I actually love that now. I love how close I am to everything. So I spend a lot of time at markets now. Markets um, were half of our sales in 2022. So markets and and direct-to-consumer online is the bulk of the Tanica business right now. We're just now readying ourselves to uh, jump back into the on-trade and the off-trade, which is the wholesale market next year. Um, But again, I've I've taken a big step back just to really build the the brand, almost one customer at a time. And that's my other learning is that if you're really connected to, to people, to the people that you're serving, and, you know, a market for me, over three days, I might sample over 1,000 people, and I'm there eight, nine hours a day pouring little samples of Tanika and talking to people and seeing their reaction. And over time, you can actually see more and more people coming back, you know, more and more people saying, I saw you on Instagram. I love your brand. Oh my God, I'm obsessed. And it makes you feel so good. And you can ask them some questions and you can adapt. You can adapt even in a day. And that's what's so wonderful about that. So I'm loving being so close to the tools and so close to the consumer. I wish I also paid more attention to all the people who were on my teams in the past on the tools. (laughs) And when I say on the tools, I mean, you know, I'm doing my own Clavio, I'm doing my own Shopify, I'm doing my own type form surveys, I'm doing my own, you know, troubleshooting, you know, I I wish I paid more attention to to all of that detail in the past, because it's really thrilling to be that close to the tools. It is. And <laughs> and so I'm loving that as well. I, I just think that's been a big learning too, is, is just rolling up your sleeves and not having your pride getting the way of of progress there
0: absolutely and and knowing that just starting with that connection and you know building those relationships getting that honest feedback then and there so that mm. you can make those you know very pivotal moments yeah. of change in your business is absolutely critical Yeah, so yeah. everything I, on a personal note from that and I know we've spoken about this over the years is you know even with our own business naturally gluten free it all started to get that cash flow in, in standing in those markets. We did it for seven years yeah. and then really building that customer base up and then going to find the local mm. the local stockers that you can then go work, bringing a customer base with that over to you. Mm-hmm. And, and it is, you know, for all the entrepreneurs out there wanting to make those startups, it is getting back to the, some of those basic fundamentals. It's, it's
1: fantastic. It really is.
0: So let's really dive into the story behind your incredible brand and – Knowing you and knowing how customer insights have played a a big part in Mm. your corporate career, what has been that consumer insight behind your brand? Mm.
1: Um, So Tanaka started on the principle of having an option for people who were seeking something better for them without having to give up drinking and the pleasures of drinking altogether. So it is an alcoholic beverage. Tannica is short for botanical. We felt really strongly from day one about the beautiful Australian botanicals and flavors around us. And we really wanted to bring that into an amazing high quality product. So the first iteration of Tannica was based on a low alcohol proposition. So it was only 10% alcohol by volume, which is about a quarter strength to a vodka or a gin what we saw again globally was a lot of people changing the way they drank and you know nowadays there's the next generation has a really different relationship with spirits and alcohol there's a lot more health consciousness and a desire for something better for you so originally our proposition was based on providing that that option for people who were seeking something healthier without giving up altogether since then, we've really gotten a lot more sophisticated about what we're doing and where the opportunity is. To tell you the truth, we couldn't necessarily trade sustainably just on that proposition. I can tell you why. It was very functional mm-hmm. and it has been pretty functional. We have a beautiful bottle it's and we, attra- we, attract, we attract attention <laughs> and at markets and at online, it did well. But you cannot actually have a sustainable business long-term based on only those channels, especially in Australia. So in the on-trade and the off-trade, which is the wholesale market, we were a little bit too consumer-driven and not enough industry insights really into our proposition. So the trade was a bit confused about what we were and how to drink us, and it does take a lot of effort to explain to people those two things. So we came to a really good insight earlier this year, actually from about May of this year till today and further into 2024, we're actually in the midst of a 2.0 strategy. (laughs) So again, this is the luxury of having your own small business. You actually can pivot and you should pivot and you can't expect to get it right from day one. I think people call it product market fit. So I realize our product market fit wasn't exactly right. So we're currently reformulating Tanika. We're going to be more squarely in the Australian aperitif category, which is a known category. We're moving our alcohol by volume up to 17%, which is still a low alcohol proposition. But we're not going to be positioning Tanika as a low alcohol functional benefit. It's really about putting the good nature of Australia into the spritz occasion. And no one is doing that well. Yeah, right. (laughs) So what we discovered, and we actually did some consumer research earlier this year, you know, again, people were attracted initially to our bottle and our proposition, but what I was finding is that people could live without us. And that's not a good sign for, again, that product market fit. Building
0: a brand. Yeah,
1: exactly. So, you know, how is this related to what we're doing now? We're actually going to be really... Again, focusing on that one rabbit. (laughs) And the one rabbit for us is really thinking about the sweet spot. in women in gatherings of two to seven people who are either at home or out with friends at bars and restaurants during daytime occasions. And what we know about her is that she's confident. She's smart enough to be in tune with what makes her feel good inside and out. And when she decides to catch up with friends in those kind of social situations, in a long lunch or an afternoon drink, It's really special, but she also wants to do it properly. So cocktails are a big part of that occasion, including spritzes, but they're underserved currently with options that are actually feeling right for the moment without compromising on their health and well-being. So that's exactly where Tanika is going to come in to reinvent that occasion using that good nature of Australia. And the good nature to us really means the fresh botanicals, again, around us. That hasn't changed and the flavors of Australia and really more citrus forward and fruit forward. But it's also about the lifestyle in which we live. Again, I said I love Australia. We're so unique. We should have a spritz that actually reflects that beautiful lifestyle totally. as well. So, so that's really where our consumer insight now is. What makes us unique is that in Australia, people are all in and at ease at the same time. They're sophisticated and supremely relaxed. It's a more emotional proposition. So our brand and everything we stand for and the communities that we connect with are really about giving women the opportunity to feel that at ease and all in and the assurance that, you know, drinking cocktails can be a wonderful thing and make them feel good inside and out in whatever moment they're in.
0: Absolutely. And can I just say the whole ability of the storytelling that you have just shared with our audience is prominent to your expertise and your skill set of really knowing your customers and building really strong campaigns. And to be, I can see that passion mm. is just flowing straight through into building your own brand. That is phenomenal to be at that point of connection. And I know yeah. that would have come from really listening to every single customer that's yeah. made a purchase. Yeah,
1: definitely. It's it's listening to the customers, but it's also, again, those consumer insights and taking the time to take a step back and ask the questions. And I suppose- The other thing in there is it's not a fast gain. I guess when I first started Tanika, I thought this will take two to three years. You know, I'll build the market. I know all the ways to do that. We found an insight, which was the need for no low alcohol, which was a big global trend. I was looking at the numbers. No, not the emotional needs. Yeah. And it's a long play. It's it is not a, a short play. play. And I suppose the other insight is if you're doing it because you want a quick exit, that is not a motivation Absolutely
0: Absolutely not. to build a
1: brand. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're thinking you've just found some gap in the market, no one ever likes to hear that they're buying a brand because it found a gap in the market. Yep, that's that's exactly not a reason right. to start a brand. Not at all. So again, I think the other big learning was... Pick a rising tide. And the rising tide for us was this overall global wellness movement, which, as I said, post-COVID world, the things people value the most is social connection and wellness. We cannot afford, as a small business, nor can many, to build a movement, build a category, or build a cultural truth. What you can do is rise on that tide. And for us, we're a unique Australian aperitif, putting that good nature of Australia and all the beautiful Australian botanicals, flavors and delicious tastes into a great cocktail. But we're also coming from within her world of contemporary betterment. So it's a familiar world to her. It feels right, but we don't have to we don't have to slam it and say it overtly. That's the beauty of a great brand when it says it without saying it. Absolutely. So
0: You have spent, you know, a solid two, three years really building out Tanika. Can you share with us more about, I suppose, the lessons? You put up a post on LinkedIn, it was probably about a week ago now, that there was really, you know, it it does take that grit to build that brand as you've just spoken about. But as you evolve into going into that next stage what have been those core lessons that you can share with our audience?
1: Mm. <laughs> I, I actually, in that LinkedIn post, and it's funny, it probably got the most comments and um, I should explain it. The mantra that I feel like I live with now is relax but never rest.
0: <laughs> that is brilliant.
1: And you did say you're going to make a T-shirt on this <laughs> I know, and I'm exactly. putting an order in for one. I feel like it's so aligned to exactly the way I operate and if anyone knows or worked with me in the past you'll know I'm pretty full-on I'm pretty full-on and I think you're full-on but you're you're also from my time working with you you were always calm well that's the thing is I think that relax like you have to be comfortable you have to be comfortable and it has to feel natural as to what you're doing but at the same time you can never rest. And I don't mean you can never take a break because some people wrote on the post, what do you mean everyone's supposed to have self-care and, you know, take it easy and give themselves a break and not burn out. And yes, I totally agree with that. I don't mean never rest, like never sleep. I mean, never sit still. Yes. Like it's funny, my husband's a tradesperson, and in the trades, like plumbing, you're never supposed to put your hands in your pocket or sit down on the job, you know? Because that just shows you got nothing to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no one ever likes to see that. So to me, it's like keeping busy. Like to me, if I have a spare hour, I'm going to go into Clavio into the back end of my EDM flows and see what's working and tweak a couple of them. Like I'm never satisfied with exactly what's happening. But, you know, I love what I'm doing so much that it's a passion and, a, and an obsession and it doesn't feel like work.
0: So it becomes part of who you are as a person, Mm, mm.
1: brand embodiment, really. So it may seem to other people like it's I'm too full on (laughs) because I'm always thinking and talking about it, but that's where you feel most at ease. Again, that's where you feel that relaxed, like most comfortable if you're doing what you're doing because you can't wait to wake up in the morning and jump on the tools and, and get back at it and do something different. It feels so thrilling to be able to have that much control. I have a friend who calls it being the benevolent dictator, which I absolutely love. So, you know, my heart's in it, my passion's in it, my heart's in the right place, but I love being the one who can make the, make the call. It's, it's, it's really great. It's thrilling. Yeah,
0: and you know what? It's so true in the sense of when you, you're so passionate about something, just the energy that naturally rises within that space on a daily basis. And this isn't something new for you either. Like I remember back in the days, the gin folly, it really oh, yeah. did
1: start. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny you mentioned that. I've only just retired that website because I have no more time to do blog <laughs> posts. But yeah, during my time at Sea Folly, I had my own gin folly. Yeah. So I started off really back into this whole, area by printing up some business cards and appointing myself as a gin influencer. So I still have a ginstagram, which is called Gin Folly. And every now and then I still post to it, but I printed up business cards, went around to Junapalooza and other gin events, handing out my business card, telling people I would do you know blog posts and uh, reviews of their gins. I got gifted a few bottles. That was the whole motivation. Nice. <laughs> but I do love Australian gins and Australian botanicals. Um, It's absolutely amazing what we have. We have over 18,000 unique botanicals in Australia, and you can only imagine how many iterations of flavors and combinations are available with that. So, so many people in the industry are doing such amazing products now. It's really inspiring to people like me who are just getting, you know, my toe into the distilling and um, everything that goes behind the production.
0: Oh, the production is huge. Yeah. It, uh, it's
1: fascinating. It is very fascinating. I, 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 Again, I love that art and science. And um, to me, you know, making a beautiful spirit, uh, whether it's a whiskey, a gin, or an aperitif in my case, it's a real art and science. And uh, yeah, that's why you, you kind of feel the personality of the founders behind that brand coming through.
0: I want to take a moment to introduce you to Naturally Gloom free where lifestyle meets quality. Naturally Gloom-Free is a boutique bakery committed to crafting exceptional gloom-free products that are produced with high quality natural ingredients and free from all additives and preservatives. When you are seeking to transform your menu or source a premium gloom-free product, Naturally Gloom-Free invites you to connect with them via their website, naturallyglutenfree.com.au. Before we get back to that post, because I do want to get back to your your four kind of tips that you left in your LinkedIn post, but from finding the right people to partner with, how did you dive into that space to find the right commercial partners?
1: So first of all, it was a little easier than I thought to get into the category. That's why I think right now there's about 687 distilleries now in Australia, which actually isn't that many, but you can actually get into the category through contract distilling, and that's what I did at the outset. So I found an NPD partner, which I could work with, just briefed a formulation based on the beautiful botanicals that I loved in some of my favorite gins, the taste profiles I was looking for, and just worked through multiple series of tastings. Now I have the privilege of working with a wonderful person who's my contract distiller, who has his own apéritif and liqueurs brand as well as a vermouth brand. His name's Sean Byrne. He's consulting with me. He's been fantastic. So we're now working on the next formulation of Tanica, and he's just an expert in seasonal produce, locally supplied Australian botanicals, flavor profiles, keeping that freshness into the the formulation. I've amassed a brains trust of advisors (laughs) and, you know, people from either commercial backgrounds, people who have built their own spirits brands. I've also found some fantastic marketers that I've brought on board. I like to support women who have started their own independent businesses, and there are many. Yeah. So I worked with a great company called Self Events Co. up in the Sunshine Coast, a woman named Tara who started her own business in events management. My first consumer event was done with her. I also work with an ex Foley woman who we both know who has her own business called Traction Lab. She's an absolute expert in PR, social media, influencer marketing, and activations. And then I also have a social media organic partner who's doing my organic posting, my community management And it's only because I value all those things and all those touch points. And again, I've been able to find some women who have their small businesses or freelance businesses that I've been able to support in turn with giving them the opportunity to join the journey. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And let's dive
0: back into your LinkedIn posts. So you've got your four Key elements that you actually, you know, shared in this post, one being relax, but never rest. The other one was treat every customer like your first one. Mm.
1: That, That one is, again, an insight that I got from these markets and also just from valuing every single sale as it comes in. What I meant by that was your first thousand customers are so critical. And I just feel like if I connect with someone deeply a thousand times, those are the embers that then will start to grow. So rather than doing these big blunt audience marketing, you know, paid advertising, to me, it's about these opportunities to really earn each customer one at a time. So... What I mean by that is I do all my own order fulfillment, for example. I handwrite every single postcard that goes out with my orders. If an order goes wrong, I'm over generous when it comes to compensating, you know, for that in some way. Sometimes I add in a tote bag or a package of dehydrated oranges just to surprise someone. I realize that it's the stories that they'll tell to other people about the service that they got and the generosity and the personal connection of the brand that are better than any marketing I could ever do.
0: Absolutely, that whole consumer touch point mm. of being able to after well after the sale that yeah. they're, they're still resonating with the brand. Yeah, and
1: people appreciate that. People appreciate. We just did a consumer survey, and there are so many more people who say they love and are obsessed by our brand than actually purchase. So I'm just trying to connect those two, so <laughs> so I can get a bit more sales. But yeah, they they love what we're doing, and that feels really good. And I think if you keep doing that, one person at a time it will grow, you know, it's the advocacy and that eventual cult-like status that you really want to achieve. And then you also had in there around punch above your weight. Oh. Creatively. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, I think that's important for everyone too. So don't undervalue a great website, great social media, great content. In our case, we did a photo shoot in 2021, which we are still using the great imagery for. It makes us look like we're A bigger brand than we actually are. And it actually draws attention and that assurance about making a purchase. So, and I think it just gets you noticed. So all those touch points matter. They really matter. All the semiotics behind, you know, how a brand comes to life visually, creatively, I think is really important.
0: Are well, there definitely some huge lessons that you have learned mm. along your way? And I know that this year as well, you did do a very big campaign internally and was able to secure some funding.
1: Yes. So, how has that journey been? So, I was fortunate to be accepted into the Distill Ventures Pre Accelerator Program in May of this year. This is a global program which Distill Ventures runs. They're absolute experts in the spirits industry, and it's giving me not only the mentoring, the support in terms of, again, having a brain's trust of experts who are coaching on anything from product to brand to commercial, trade activations, go-to-market strategies, route to market price builds, kind of everything that I needed, everything, everything that I needed really to tighten up the ship and to, again, in 2024, have another opportunity to go to market in the wholesale environment and uh, take all the learnings that we have over the last couple of years, reformulate to a particular market, and then focus on the commercial execution in that market. So that was a really big turning point and a game changer for us as a brand earlier this year. And I've never worked harder since that time because, you know, if all goes well, that could be a continual, a continual pathway for us to, to bring Tanika to new markets in the future. Yeah.
0: And do you have any advice that you could offer for anyone going into a startup and wanting to head down that line of mm. being able to reach out to venture capital that you would be able to share?
1: First of all, <laughs> I realize that running a small business or having a startup is a series of capital raises.
0: Okay. No one
1: told me that either. (laughs) You cannot, again, I did one round of friends and family. I put in some of my own investment into the business. That will only get you so far. I recently heard Stu Greger talk about this on a podcast who was able to, you know, build up four pillars as a co-founder with some others. People really can smell the smell of an oily rag. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. And, you know, you you really have to back yourself and put some money behind some things to give any brand the opportunity to grow. That requires investment. And yes, you can do the friends and family. Yes, you can put in your own money. But the startup mindset is really about one milestone to the next on capital raising, I think, in the first two to three years in order to really give a brand an opportunity to breathe and to flourish so i didn't know that i really thought that we could do a small round and then again blow on those embers and things would just take off it's not as easy as that so always be thinking about the proof points that you need on your next capital raise so always be out there genuinely and it's not lip service Testing and learning. Yep. (laughs) Testing and learning because as soon as you can find the thing that works, if you can go to an investor and say, I need the money to 10x this thing that I've discovered, that's a great value proposition for someone to invest in because you've already done the work to find find out what you need the money for. (laughs) Yeah, right. So that's a really big switch of a flick or a flick of a switch (laughs) to me, because uh, again, I really just thought I could use the skills that I had had from my previous career, blow it onto a small business and it would take off and not necessarily the case. It's really about testing and learning early proof points, first two to three years, hitting milestones, hitting those key, key performance indicators that are going to show that you're investable yeah. For someone in the future,
0: yeah, fantastic. And so, Adrian, I do like to ask each of our guests on the show for a few words of wisdom that they can really pass on to the aspiring leaders, founders of tomorrow. What invaluable lesson have you gained that you would like to share? That might be separate from your own journey, but really, if if you are that aspiring leader coming through, that these are some just a little nugget that will help them on their journey. Mm.
1: Boy, you've got some heavy questions. I love it. Um, So I guess I've learned it should feel really natural. It should feel really comfortable as to what you feel that you can focus all of your time and attention on. If it doesn't feel natural, it will feel like work. If it does feel natural, it won't feel like work at all. You won't have that problem of work-life balance because you're so passionate about what you're doing. It is your balance. It is your go-to. It's something you should love working on every single day. It's so important because you're the one who needs to live it. You're the one that needs to inspire other people. And you're the best salesperson, even if you don't or have never been a salesperson, especially if you're starting your own your own business or your own brand. It has to feel really natural to you, like you're passionate about it. If it feels difficult, it's just not right for you or for the brand. And it'll feel like a bag of tricks or that shortcut to an exit, and people will see through that. So I think for me, you know, I love cocktails. I love daytime cocktails. I also do want my health and well-being to be, you know, one of the most important things that makes me happy. So I'm really passionate about Tanaka and about the vision of, again, putting that good nature of Australia into the Spritz occasion, because it's something that's really genuine to me. That's exactly how I want to live my most wonderful moments with friends and family. So it's easy for me to to be excited about that. You have to find what excites you and what feels natural. Otherwise, it'll feel like work.
0: Incredible words of wisdom right (laughs) there. And... Final question: Where can everyone purchase?
1: Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> uh, so again, Tanica is sold online at tanica.com.au. Uh, it's T-A-N-I-C-A. We will put that in the in the show <laughs> notes as well for everyone. And please follow our journey on Drink Tanica is our Instagram handle. We're also on LinkedIn, but I guess for this audience. Yes, even reach out and directly contact me. I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear about your journey. I'm always there to support young, aspiring or mid-age or any age aspiring, you know, entrepreneurs or people who are contemplating making the leap. And if you have a small business and you're looking to help Tanika on our journey, please reach out as well.
0: We will all definitely be jumping in and having a look and I will be jumping over myself to make a nice little purchase from Tanika in the lead up to the Christmas season. So (laughs) that will be very nice. Well, thank you, Adrian, for sharing your extraordinary insights and experiences with us today. Your journey is not only inspiring, but a testament to the power of passion and determination. It was a pleasure to have you join us on Leadership Odysseys. And to all of our listeners, I hope you have enjoyed enjoyed this captivating conversation as much as I did. And remember, there's incredible power in following your passions and embracing every opportunity. Thank you for joining us on this incredible odyssey. Until next time, lead with courage, lead with heart, and keep exploring the remarkable world of leadership enjoyed the journey? Hit the subscribe button, rate us, and leave a review if our stories ignited your leadership spirit. Your feedback fuels our odyssey.